Today we're in part five of that'll leave a mark, talking about leaving a legacy. And um, we're gonna read a portion of scripture that I've preached from before, talking about marriage and leaving a legacy in marriage. And I'll I'll be upfront with you, uh, this this scripture uh, is a little bit controversial in our culture and we'll deal with that. Uh, And I'll give you some context of when it was written and why it was written the way it was and why it's still true. Do you realize that just because scripture doesn't not doesn't line up with the culture we're in doesn't make scripture false? It's not a it's not a Facebook story. You don't need a fact checker with it. It's inspired word of God. If God wanted us to have something else, He would have written it a different way. And so uh, we have the Bible that He entrusted us with. And, uh, and we're going to read through that this morning and learn, hopefully lean into leaving a legacy in our marriages. So we're going to read from Ephesians chapter five. I read this, uh, when I do a wedding, I I love reading this scripture, uh, in the wedding. And I love talking about this before we get to the wedding because I like making people uncomfortable. I think anytime we talk about submission in today's culture, it is a negative context. We're raising our kids with the idea that you don't have to listen to anybody, that do your own thing, that you don't, we don't use the word honor in our culture as much anymore, that nobody has a right to tell you what to do. And so when you get into a marriage and the idea of submission pops up in a marriage, for a lot of young people, it's, you don't even know what to do with it. And and really quickly, there becomes an impasse. And uh, we're going to deal with that today, hopefully. Learn how to leave. And maybe some of you that have been married a long time still don't know what to do with it. it. Took me a while to figure it out. And I'm like, Paul, not that I've accomplished all these things, but I still strain towards the mark. Marriage is a lifelong session of learning. Somebody say Amen. Ephesians chapter five, we're going to start reading verse 15 on purpose, even though that's not, doesn't seem like it's dealing with marriage at the beginning. We're going to read through verse 33. So why don't you stand to your feet in honor of the word. You can see it on the screen. You can find it in the Bible app under events and Hope Community Church will be there. Or you can go to the, our church app, Hope Community Church app and find it there. Say amen if you're ready. Ephesians chapter five, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The days are evil, aren't they? Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water for the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are a member of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that, and I am saying that it refers to the church and Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, when I do a wedding, I, I like to read this from the message paraphrase. I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage you to study from the message paraphrase because it's a paraphrase. It's not a, it's not a direct translation of scripture. So we, that, we just read that from the English standard version, ESV. But I do like the way the message paraphrase, like Eugene Peterson wrote this down. And I do have a habit of reading it from this paraphrase in, in weddings because it's, it's beautiful language. So I'll read it to you. Verse 21, out of respect for Christ, be courteous and reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands and ways that, ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to the church. Not, di- not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love make the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. I love this part. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. God, marriage isn't easy, but it's a beautiful thing that you created. And Lord, you didn't just create us to live together and get along. You created us to mimic the relationship between you and the church. That a good marriage shows that relationship, how much you love the church and how much the church loves you. Lord, we pray today because we were together, you change our minds or change what we do, change how we treat each other. And we pray, Lord, that, that we'd be able to leave a legacy to not only our kids, but others that come behind us to do this well. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. So this letter, Paul is addressing the church in Ephesus that is, um, it's uh, arguably the most important port city uh, in the Roman Empire. He he goes there on his second missionary journey and he, in Acts chapter 18 and he establishes a church there. He doesn't stay very long, but he gets a work going. He gets it, he gets it started. Now, Ephesus is uh, about, it's on the 
uh, west side of modern day Turkey, and it's about 80 miles south of uh, Izmir in Turkey. And it was bustling. I mean, it was rich. It was happening place to be. It's where merchandise was coming in and going out. I mean, it was, it was a great city. It was also full of paganism, full to the brim of paganism, illicit sex, all kinds of crazy things you can imagine. Um, it was a godless people. It was unlike last week when the book was, when the letter was written to Jewish believers, this, this, this letter is written to believers who were, who were in the Roman empire, who, who weren't for a Jewish heritage. So Paul on his third missionary journey ends up staying in Ephesus two or three years and teaching there. Matter of fact, his teaching became so successful that people stopped buying uh, idols. Not totally, but they, the idol, the idol uh, market decreased. Could you imagine um, the gospel going through Berkeley County enough or, or Berkeley Springs enough to make Walmart not sell a certain product. So in chapter 19 of Acts, you find out that the gospel is going through the city of Ephesus to the point where a silversmith who was crafting idols started losing business. He started losing business because the gospel is being preached. So he causes an uproar and Paul has to deal with that. I mean, it's crazy. There's a like legit revival breaking out in Ephesus. So Paul later on writes this letter to support the church in Ephesus. He's reinforcing how to treat each other, who Christ is to us, and in light of that, how to treat each other. And in chapter 5, he starts talking about marriage. Now, I believe in your Bible, you would see a demarcation between verse 21 and 22, and and it would say something like uh, Christian marriage. And it would seem like between verse 21 and 22, there's a break and it starts dealing with a different topic. The only issue is, is Paul is kind of lining up verse 15. Hey, don't, don't be silly, you know, take advantage of the time that you're at. And, and he says, don't be drunk all the time, but be full, filled with the spirit. Um, like he's encouraging them to live, to live smart gospel oriented lives. Hey, if you're getting drunk all the time, it's not going to be a benefit to you. Just making sure what kind of church I'm in right now. All of you are like, where'd you get that? My life's pretty sweet. <laughs> now he says, don't be, don't be drunk on wine. It leads to bad things. It leads to debauchery, which Ephesus was full of. Did you hear that? Whatever your city is full of, getting drunk all the time will lead you to what it's full of. And most of the time it's full of not good stuff, not good stuff. So um, he says that, and then he, right in verse 21, which is above the, where your modern day Bible breaks the thing out, it says, submit to each, submit to each other. I, I don't know, I'm just curious that that might, should go below. Because the very next thing he does is talk about how wives submit, and then the very next thing he does talks about how husbands submit. So at the beginning, he says, verse 21, submit to each other out of love. Submit to each other out of love. 
this is a difficult topic today and it would have been a difficult topic then, but it would have been the, for the exact opposite reason of why it's difficult today. In today's society, it's difficult because verse 22 says, right out of the gate. Now, as a preacher, I would have, I would have wished he'd have just tagged on verse 22 and 23, kind of just, just threw it in at the end. It would have made it a lot easier, but he starts with it. Wives, submit to your husbands. And everybody's like, oh, here we go. I knew he was a misogynist. I knew he, knew he just wanted to push women down. Well, you obviously don't know my wife. If you think we've been married 25 years, I never pushed her anywhere. We get freaked out by it right away because... Because there's a lot of stuff in the Bible you can get freaked out about if you're reading it at face value. Listen, by the way, you can get freaked out about your biology book in college if you just read it at face value. So what happens is because that's a culturally unacceptable phrase or sentence, we discard God's plan for marriage. And we accept the culture's idea of marriage as you get what you get, I get what I get. As long as those two things are happening, we are going to be fine together. But as soon as I'm not getting what I want and you're not acting like I want, then this thing's not going to work. Everybody's scared to death right now. Nobody say amen. Everybody's just going, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm just going to hold out, find out where he's going. Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. Oh. So Paul starts out with this, wives, submit to your husbands. It would have been controversial if he didn't add something to it. It would have felt controversial even today. But he says, wives, submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ's leadership. Okay, now, now wait, wait, wait a second. You just adding, added something in there that most of our culture doesn't even realize it was set up for that reason. So he says, submit to your husband as the church submits to the leadership of Christ. All right, well, now, now Paul's added in a relationship example, the church and Christ, his Savior. The church, who we are wholly indebted to the fact that Jesus laid his life down. The reason we're meeting today is because Jesus was crucified. And by the way, he rose again on the third day. If he had just crucified, we probably wouldn't have been getting together. But because he was crucified and rose again, there is a church. And so the relationship to the, from the church to Jesus is that Jesus laid his life down for the church. And so the church willingly, without, without a bunch of fuss, submits ourselves to him because he did the ultimate act of love. Everybody following me now? So, so most of us don't go, hey, well, Jesus, I'll do what you want, but you know, you're going to have to do something special for me. No, he, while we were sinners, he died for us, the Bible says. John 3, 16, 
The first thing everybody memorizes, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus, God, who loved us so much, sent his son Jesus to die for you and me when we could do nothing about it. All of humanity, when we were enemies of God, Jesus came and died for us and rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave and offering up for us. Anyone who would believe on him and accept forgiveness for their sins would inherit eternal life and freedom and peace and hope and keep going over and oh, whatever. Add it all up. So when I'm praying, I don't go, Hey man, let's make a deal. I get what I want. You get what you want. I don't know, I've never talked that way to God. There came a recognition in my life where, man, he saved me. And so out of that, I have no problem submitting my life to his leadership. No problem. Now I know what everybody's getting ready to say, well, my husband didn't save me. (laughs) True. I agree. Nor is he supposed to be your savior. Jesus already did that. So can I help you out, wives? Stop expecting from your husband what only Jesus could offer you. That was good. Okay, so the model here is Jesus has been so good to me that I can... I can live with his leadership in my life. That's it. Now, I know that's massively controversial today. Submit to your husband. Submit to his leadership. Submit to this. Submit to that. Okay. It was not controversial then because because in the Greco-Roman culture, the only requirement for submission was from the female. Now, What makes this whole thing curious to me is there's about this much of it that has to do with wives submitting to husbands. I don't know, like two or three verses. And then Paul gets long-winded about husbands, how husbands are supposed to treat their wives. It's like this much. And I'm thinking, what gives? Wives get off with a little bit, submit to his leadership. Husbands are over here like laying down my life. If you read the, the, the message paraphrase, it's like dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. That sounds a lot tougher than like submit to his leadership. The reason why is because it was the exact opposite culture of what it is today. It was a misogynistic culture. Paul was going out on a theological limb to teach these people something different. So today it's the exact inverse. Don't you, you don't have to do what he, you don't have to listen. You don't, you don't, you don't need to pay attention to him. You don't like it. Just he, he, you listen, we're teaching our kids today that male leadership is pointless. Turn on a sitcom. See if it's not true. Turn on a sitcom. And watch a, watch a half, watch, watch 15 minutes of it. And you'll find out that in every sitcom on TV right now, the man is the dumbest person in the show. (laughs) 
I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm getting beat up enough. I don't need to watch it. Our whole culture is about how men are stupid. And yet Paul specifically says there's a role for male leadership in the house. But we're teaching a whole culture not to, not, not to accept that idea. All right. In Paul's day, that would not have been an argument. There would have been no argument in Paul's day about the leadership and where it was going to come from. The argument would have been the exact opposite of what we have today, that there is their responsibility from the man to the woman. So now that explains why Paul just tells a lady, hey, listen, if you're in a marriage, submit to the godly leadership that, that, that God has put in the household through the man because he's supposed to love you like Christ loved the church. And by the way, men, listen up. And so he would have been talking to a misogynistic community and he would be teaching them now, men, how to treat their wives, which would not have been a class they would have signed up for. So now he says, hey, remember how I told the ladies, remember how I told the ladies that it's, that it's okay for them to submit to godly leadership in their household? It's okay to be under godly leadership in their household because the man the man is supposed to be loving you like Christ loved the church. Remember how I said that? Okay, guys, here's, here's how that's going to happen. Go all out in your love for your wife. Now, now I want to tell you how lopsided this thing is. Paul's words right here. This is how lopsided it is. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and him is himself the Savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, wait a second. Who's got to give their life away here? Paul was introducing this to, to a church that would have, this would have been like, whoa, she's just supposed to do what I tell her. I'm not supposed to have to work for it. I'm the, I'm the leader just because my culture tells me I'm the leader. Paul introduces you're the leader because you're willing to lay down your life for your family. Oh. So, so this, this extinguishes all fear of a misogynistic society in the church where women are just supposed to fall in line to an abusive man and they're not supposed to say anything, just supposed to just stay there and keep their mouth quiet like a good submissive wife and just do whatever the angry old fart tells you. That's not what he's saying. It's not even close to what he's saying. He starts off talking about mutual submission. Here's what it looks like for the wife. And here's what it looks like for the man. Here's what it looks like in a woman's role. Here's what it looks like in a man's role. And Paul is saying, men, go to the extent of your capability, your resources, your intellect to bless your wife. She's a treasure to you. A couple guys are going to have a good afternoon. Most of you not. Most of you not. It's like you didn't say amen with a treasure. 
What's going on here? Weren't you listening? (laughs) Mutual submission. You know what's hard about mutual submission? When When our society blurs the roles of male and female to the point that you don't know any difference, it's really difficult then to ascertain our role in marriage. Church, when it comes to marriage, we got to go back into the Bible, not, not less of the Bible. Listen, if you're a man in here, you've been, and you're married, you've been given the God-given responsibility to lead like Jesus. To be willing to lay yourself down for your family. To be willing to put your wife on a pedestal and to treat her like Christ would treat the church. I'm telling you, if he hadn't invoked the church and his relationship, it would have been a lot easier. But he invoked, Paul invokes Christ and the church and the relationship between the two of them. And now we've got this picture of, of constant submission to each other. Christ, yes, is leading us, but he's leading through laying his life down. And yes, the church is submitting, but we're submitting because he laid his life down. In American culture today, has tried to defame that whole scenario. And call the church out of touch with modern day marriage. And, and we just want to suppress women. It's anything but that. It's anything but that. It's a picture, a beautiful picture of God the Father loving us so much that he would send Jesus to lay his life down. Why? Because the church was worth it. The church was worth it. And why do we follow him? Because he's worth it. And so a beautiful picture of marriage where there is nothing that I won't do to bless my wife. And so when I say, hey, let's go to the beach this week and take a couple days off, she goes, yeah. She doesn't respond by going, you're not telling me what to do. (laughs) Mutual submission, mutual submission. Mutual submission Inherently means there has to be something else that's mutually happening. And that means movement, mutual movement, mutual movement towards each other. Paul writes this in verse 33. He says, however, let each of each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Mutual movement towards each other. Paul is teaching that a godly marriage is one of mutual submission and mutual movement. This is not a tit for tat relationship. Like I'll move towards you as long as I get what I want and I'll move towards you as long as I get what I want. This is, this is a constant moving towards one another. Paul would later on write a letter to the Philippians in the chapter two of that letter. He would say these things, not, not to men or not to women, but to the church. He would say, having this mind among yourself, have this mind among yourself. You know what he's saying there? Think this way. I want you to think this way now. He said, though Jesus was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Paul later on writes to the Philippians and he says, listen, you have to think about movement, which direction you're going to go. He said, Jesus did not account equality. Jesus didn't come to earth going, I'm God, serve me. I'm God. You should, you should kneel down to me. I'm God. You shouldn't talk to me like that. I'm God. Jesus never said anything like that. Matter of fact, he taught the disciples. If you want to be first, you have to be last. If you want to be the greatest, you must be a slave. He says the first will be last. The last will be first. All these things. He says, you must become the servant of all. At his last meal, he gets down and washes the disciples feet. Peter starts arguing with him. He says, Hey man, if you don't let me wash your feet, it's not going to work out. I'm teaching you how to serve. Marriage, we have to have the attitude. Paul's writing to the Philippians and he says, I need you to think this way. It's about serving. It's about not having an attitude about what I can get, but an attitude of what I can give. And so when we walk into a marriage with a give me attitude, it's always going to be difficult. My wife has a friend uh, who told her a long time ago, and it's been really helpful just to, just to make clarifications. It's been very helpful for her. Yeah. yeah. Um, she said, her friend told her, don't keep a long list. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. I could give anybody a long list. And so could you. This constant moving towards each other means we forget what is behind. Paul said that, forgetting what is behind, I press on to the mark. If you can't forget or at least choose not to remember, marriage is going to be a tough, tough, tough deal. But constant moving towards each other makes me release what happened yesterday. Makes me release what happened three days ago or 10 years ago or 15 or 20 years ago. Makes me release that and move towards. So I I need to give you a little insight into me. I was a great masonry um, person when we were first married. Anybody ever heard of stonewalling? Anybody ever use that as a tactic? It is extremely successful. So we first got married. Uh, I didn't know, I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. And, um, so if there came a conflict with us, I would get my concrete blocks out. I get my trowel and my mud and I'd build a wall and it'd be really tall. I couldn't even hear her. You never talked to me about that. I was like, I can't hear you. I got a wall up. And it's a really thick one. And on this side of the wall, there's peace and quiet. And on your side of the wall, there's conversations that I don't want to have. Yeah. So as long as I keep the wall up, I'm in my safe spot and you're frustrated. 
but I don't see you frustrated because I've got a wall up. See how successful this is? By the way, that didn't work. I soon figured out that that it would require both of us tearing down the wall, moving towards each other for anything great to happen. If you're a stonewaller, just knock it down. It's either going to get knocked down because you decided to, or it's going to get knocked down through tragedy. But they never stay up. You can talk to each other on this side of the attorneys or on the other side. I just found... Now, now, can can I be transparent with you again? That old person still lives in me. And I can feel him raising his head every now and then. You know, come on, you're riding in the car together and you're going down the road and, and, some, and, and, and your spouse says something that you really like. And then, and then three hours later, you still haven't said anything. What's wrong with you? Nothing. No, nothing. And they know something's wrong with you. And they know that you know that they know something's wrong with you. And but you're like, I don't know. Garth Brooks has been singing for the last half an hour. I've been focusing on him. Guess who is mandated to move first? Both of you. Mutual movement. And there are no trophies handed out in heaven for stonewalling. Did you realize that? Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed this prayer. Lord, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. He said he was so stressed out. The Bible says he's so stressed out about the crucifixion that was facing him and the beat, the brutal beating that he was facing and the death that was ultimately going to come to him the next day. He was so stressed out about the Bible said he sweated like drops of blood and he prayed these prayers. If there's any other way, please, but not my will yours be done. Let me tell you something. If you would pray that prayer every day in your marriage, you would knock down a lot of walls. Stop waiting for somebody else to make the sacrifice. Stop waiting for somebody else to start the conversation. Stop waiting for somebody else to move. Jesus didn't want to do it, but he said, it's not my will, it's yours, be done. And so I'm not, he didn't postpone the crucifixion until he got his way. He said, I am the one that has to move here. So, so Paul is teaching Ephesus and us mutual submission and mutual movement. There is no right or wrong. It's just, I'm moving towards you. Whether it's my fault or not, I'm moving towards you. Whether I was wrong or you were right, I'm moving towards you. Whether there's no place in the gospels where Jesus looks at the church and goes, I don't like you right now. You made me mad. He's moving towards us over and over and over again. Mutual movement. You may be sitting here this morning with something fresh in your mind that was just torqued you off. Just move on it. Just move towards the person. You say, Chris, but I've been moving towards them. Okay. I can't move anymore. When I am weak, he is strong. 
God's going to give you enough grace to keep moving because it's God in you that allows you to move. Not whether it's right or wrong. The verse we read last week, James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near. All right, the last thing I'm going to leave you with is mutual legacy. Legacies are made in the fire. Do you realize that? Love is never tested until there's an opportunity not to love. Love is never tested until there's an opportunity not to love. You may, walk, you may have walked in here this morning feeling not loved. That's a test of whether it's even real or not. Because nowhere in scripture does it say, wives, submit to your husbands if you feel like it. Husbands, lay down your life for your wife if you feel like it. Because I'm going to tell you something. I woke up this morning with a heartburn. I didn't feel like doing nothing. Laying my life down. I got to deal with the heartburn first. Sometimes you're not going to feel like anything. Anybody have no feelings this morning? It's a stage of marriage. Did you realize that? We got duped into thinking when we got, we put the ring on and we did the, we didn't have Facebook and all that stuff. We got married. So nobody knew. We just had to go around and tell everybody. Wow, that was crazy. It was like a long week. Uh, Did we tell everybody? I don't know. Did you get the phone tree thing going? Once I got to my aunt, they were like, Chris and Beth just went on a cruise and eloped. No, 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 that's not what happened. So what happens now is we go to this great extent to do the, the, the proposal. We record it and we set it up perfect. Got the right lighting, right time of day, all this stuff. And then we do the big extent of the wedding. and It's got to be in the right place at the right time. Ah, oh, it's so beautiful. And the, in the, the first couple of weeks, it's just like, man, this is so sweet. And then comes the opportunity to disagree, the opportunity not to love, not to lean towards each other, not to submit to each other, not to move towards each other. Then comes the opportunity and you... And we start to feel it a little bit like, ooh, that didn't feel like that went my way. Oh, that didn't feel like that went my way. That didn't feel like, I don't, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like this. I don't know if I like that. And if you listen to modern day culture, once those things build up enough, you have a way out. You have a reasonable way out. You have a justified way out. After all, I'm not getting what I wanted. I'm not getting what I signed up for. But the truth of the matter is, my dad used to tell me it takes two to tango. I still don't know what that means. And I've taken dance classes. <laughs> Basically saying, hey, listen, it takes two people to make this thing work. That's why it was a mutual submission, mutual movement. And legacies are born out of, oper- out of times where it seems like it's not going to work, but you dig in and do the God thing. Paul would write about this over and over and over that perseverance in your life produces good things. It's the exact opposite of quitting. Quitting will produce heartache and scars and wounds that you will walk around with for the rest of your life. But perseverance ends up producing hope in your life. Look what we've been through and we made it. Look how much we suffered and we're still together. It's the beauty of the cross. And remember, Paul links marriage to Jesus and the cross in the church. And through great suffering, 
there's a testimony. There's not a marriage on the planet that hadn't had their share of awful situations and awful circumstances, often caused by ourselves. And yet the ones who leave a legacy are the ones who endure. They they figure out a way to move towards each other. They figure out a way to submit to each other. They figure out a way to do it. They figure out a way. They, They submit their individual wills to God first. And then they say, you know what? Because I, because I'm choosing to love you. Say, what's that got to do with the legacy? I'll tell you a story. Stand up real quick. And you may think at the beginning of this story has nothing to do with marriage, but trust me, I'll tie it in. About 10, 12 years ago, me and my brother-in-law decided we were going to go to Southeast Ohio on a hunting trip. And so we were going to drive out there and we were going to do some scouting. So I had a a little four-wheel drive pickup truck at the time and we take a six-hour trip, drive down to Southern southeastern Ohio where there's supposed to be giant bucks so we drove down there and we're I mean I was younger then than I am now I wouldn't I wouldn't I'd be like oh it's gonna snow man we gotta be careful but back then it was like bring it so we drive down there we wake up the next morning and it snowed all night we stayed at a hotel and it snowed all night and probably three or four inches on the ground but it was like yeah so we're driving around southeast Ohio, looking at these different hunting spots and it's, it keeps snowing and snowing and snowing and we're kind of oblivious to it. Well, when we get ready to come home that evening, there's eight inches on the ground. So we're driving home and I don't know about you, but if there's eight inches in Southeast Ohio, there's 35 inches in Garrett County, Maryland. So we got to come up, we're coming through Garrett County, Maryland. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's midnight, it's blowing and I, and I'm I'm not typically a scared guy, but I'm thinking, bro, we may have to pull over. This is crazy. The ice had packed up so much under my truck. There wasn't any suspension left. The, the tires were just grinding on the ice. That is crazy. We found a snow plow. I don't even think he was plowing. He was like, what's the use? But he's putting down a little salt and he had a path behind him. It was like a tracks behind him. And he was running about 20 miles an hour. And I just got behind that guy and I thought, I'll drive as fast as he drives because all I have to do is get behind him. He's making the tracks. We did it all the way to Cumberland. And then we got down to Cumberland. We got out. We're like, dude, that was crazy. The snow had melted. I was warmer in Cumberland. We're like, man, that was cool. Got out and looked at the ice on the truck like, whoa. When I was getting ready for this sermon today, I started thinking about that very scenario and how many of you are sitting in this room, including myself and my wife are sitting in this room and you have, you might've been through an awful snowstorm in your marriage. I mean, you, you felt like the plow truck. There's nothing in front of you, just deep snow. And you're just barely getting, you're just, you're just like, man, you're just going to have to get through it. You're going to have to go through it. You're, pl- you're making the way. You're trying to figure out. Maybe you didn't grow up with, a, with parents who figured it out. Maybe you grew up and, and nobody taught you how to do it. Maybe you're just trying to figure it out on your own. And, 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 and the marriages you saw growing up are the exact opposite of what they should have been. And you're sitting here like, how am I going to do this? I don't even know. And you're the plow truck. You're the one out front going, man, I, how do we get this right? And Paul is laying it out for you this morning. But here's where the legacy comes in. 
I didn't have to figure out where I was going with that truck. I just stayed right behind him. I'm going to tell you something. If that truck had drove over in the ditch, me and my brother-in-law had been in the ditch. Because I, I was like, oh, here we go. If you feel like the plow truck this morning, I want you to take courage. Because your kids won't have to move that snow after you've driven through it. Your kids will be able to drive in the wake of your life and your marriage. Your kids will be able to fall in behind you and say, you know what? Mom and dad didn't have it all right, but they figured out how to find their way. They figured out how to lean towards each other. And you just let your kids fall in behind you and just stay in the tracks. And you break the snow. You break the ice. You be the one willing to move first. You be the one willing to submit first. You be the one to break it all out and say, no more behind me they're going to have it easier than I did. Behind me, they're going to have a way that doesn't seem that doesn't seem as hard because I plowed the way for it. That's a legacy of marriage. That's a legacy. Not quitting, not giving up, not saying it's not worth it, but laying your life down, submitting to the Lordship of Christ and say, I'll move. I'll move first. I'll make it happen. I'll submit. I'll move. I'll do it because the legacy is worth it. Because my kids are worth it. Because The people coming up in this community are worth a good example. Amen? Come on, could you give him praise one more time this morning? He is a miracle maker in your marriage today.